Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Church of the Advent on social media recently posed this open question to anyone who happened to come across it. Have you ever experienced the divine, but you aren't sure what to do next? The question was inspired by a recent interview I saw with an author named Paul Kingsnorth, who as an adult just recently converted from a new age searcher who is actually a member of a Wiccan community to Orthodox Christianity. In the course of the interview, I was struck when he said that he knew he had been experiencing the divine in his life, but he didn't know where to take that experience or what to do with it. Thankfully, he was led through his intuition and his intellect, and I'm sure with divine guidance as well, to his local Orthodox parish in Ireland where he lives. So we pose this question to anyone who would see our post on social media. Have you experienced the divine but don't know where to go next? Then we invited them to come to Church of the Advent for answers. This post was commented on by a gentleman who was upset with the question and replied with a graphic posing a different question. Isn't it odd that an omnipotent God only speaks to humans within the confines of their skulls? And it concluded, it's as if it's the only place he exists. It's true for me, at least, that I've never visually or by means of my other physical senses registered the transcendent God who created all things, except, of course, in the Eucharist where I both see and taste him. But, of course, my physical senses render this experience as an encounter with bread and wine. And I imagine a lot of other people are in my same situation. Now, I won't press the point here that I also only experience mathematical truths, reason, and non-physical things like love and beauty inside my skull, too. Yet that doesn't mean that those things can be explained by or have their origin within our physical cosmos. They don't. Um, And it's yet within our skulls, by means of the structure of our brains, that our minds and our intellects register these experiences to our consciousness. Anyway, I'll just say that just because many of us haven't had a miraculous physical experience of the divine, doesn't mean that no one ever has. As long as there are just one or two well-documented, credible experiences had by just a small group of people who can verify that same experience among themselves, that's frankly enough to make the divine, at the very least, a live option open to investigation, from a physicalist standpoint anyway. I mean, philosophy is another way to encounter and and, uh, be led to the obvious conclusion of the divine, but Again, we'll leave that aside. In terms of experiences of the divine, physical. Last Sunday, we heard the account of a group of people who experienced the divine physically in the form of the miraculous sound of a rushing wind and the visual form of tongues of fire dividing out and coming to rest on their heads. This experience was so intense that it actually spilled out of that upper room through the sound of the wind and the speaking in diverse languages of the disciples to foreigners, and the spiritual power of St. Peter's homily, that it converted thousands just that day. I don't know if that gentleman who left that comment was there on Jerusalem on that day in Pentecost, if he would have been one of the ones who believed, 
or if he would have remained one of the unbelievers, of which there were many. As Father Abraham told the rich man in the parable, if your brothers won't believe based on the testimony of the scriptures, then they wouldn't believe even if someone miraculously came back from the grave to warn them. I think this is because miracles, instances of things breaking the normal order of nature, aren't actually very effective in fostering belief or faith in God without a framework of meaning with which within which they can communicate to us. Miracles have to mean something for them to move us. It was only St. Peter's explanation of the miraculous events that day that made them mean anything to his hearers and convinced them of his explanation. Remember, it's a wicked and unbelieving generation that constantly looks for signs and wonders because they think that's what's required to convince them of anything. But those who are actually convinced by signs and wonders, are the pure of heart, the open of mind, and the ones looking not for miracles themselves, but for meaning, for a context, a story that they can connect with. I think that's exactly why both the Eastern and Western traditions of the church have connected the revelation and celebration of the Trinity with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. What do I mean by that? The Eastern tradition commemorates the revelation of the Trinity directly on Pentecost, on the same day. The Western tradition waits a week and makes the octave of Pentecost, i.e. the following Sunday, the Feast of the Trinity. But both are for the same reason. Jesus spoke of his Father constantly throughout his ministry. And he equated himself with his Father. I and the Father are one, who the Hebrews knew as their God, the true God who created all things, revealed to them by his name, Yahweh. And after Jesus' resurrection, he told his disciples that he was ascending to his Father and that he would send to them the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, Parakletos in Greek, who would teach them. And just before his ascension, he commanded them to wait for the Spirit to come and then after that, to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so, once the Spirit descended after Jesus ascended, one certain chapter of a story had finally been told as another was beginning to be told. The narrative had advanced and a new clarity had arrived. The disciples realized that God, Yahweh, was the father of Jesus Christ, was also Jesus Christ, his son, and was also the Holy Spirit who was actively connecting them with Jesus' life and mission. The reason they were to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit was because all three were Yahweh, their God. And this reason was made clear on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit led them fully into this truth. Within only a few generations of the church, a way of speaking about this mystery started being used broadly, first among the Latin-speaking Christians, Tertullian is the first witness we have of this, and then the Greek-speaking Christians. The language of one God in three persons became known as the Trinity. Because the early church spoke so often of the different persons of the Trinity and their works and operations within the world, especially of Jesus, the Word, they had to often defend against the charge of tritheism and argue for the unity of the Trinity. There are brilliant treatises from various church fathers describing how there is no difference in eternality, self-existence, glory, goodness, life-creating power, etc. 
between the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. If they all share the same self-existence and essence, and they are all simultaneously the origin of all derivative existence, then we rightly call all three persons one God. But in our day, the word God in its singularity and the invention of the academic category of monotheism, as for example, it's often said Christianity and Judaism and Islam are the three major monotheistic religions, we now need to emphasize the trinity of the one God. And this is where if someone has experienced the divine in their life, has had an unexpected answered prayer, a deep moral conviction, or witnessed a miracle, then they could come here and learn more about the God who they had experienced. Because this God is, whether or not they know it, three persons working in their life. This God is the Trinity. But so what? Why does it matter for them to know that? <laughs> well, just like miracles don't really change minds or hearts without meaning something, neither do words and doctrines like the Trinity. So what does the Trinity mean? The Trinity literally means everything. This reality gives meaning to all of creation, begins the story that underpins and runs throughout all of creation. Because the Trinity is the original story, the original source of meaning. And the meaning and story within the Trinity is this. Within the Trinity is the story of love, of self-giving, of community. Before time and creation, or above it, or outside of it, or whatever language we use, the Father eternally begets his Son, and the Spirit of God eternally proceeds as the Spirit of the Father's love for the Son, and the Son's love for the Father. The Spirit being the celebrator, the shining glory of that love within the community of the three persons. So God is no lonely monad isolated in uniqueness with none to share his divinity and essence with. God is the Father, sharing all that he has with his Son, who in his reciprocal love communes perfectly with the Holy Spirit, who rejoices in this perfect, selfless, ongoing donation. And so, though perfect within itself, the Trinity has in itself the foundation of what becomes the extension of this self-giving love creation. See, the story of our existence, the reason for the cosmos, the heavens and the earth and all the creatures therein, is to share in the perfect life and love of the divine community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this brings us to a second reason why an inquirer who has experienced the divine in their life will benefit from coming and learning more about God here in the Orthodox Church. Because in addition to learning that God is a trinity of persons and that this reality gives meaning and shape to the whole of created reality, they will learn how to begin engaging with this trinity of persons. As important as knowing the story is, it's equally as important to begin participating in that story. Just as after the people on Pentecost learned the story from St. Peter, they then asked what they needed to do next. And so as we learn about the life of the Trinity, we need to know how to pray to the Trinity, in the Trinity. The way we pray here in the Orthodox Church is entirely Trinitarian. 
We learn from the Old Testament scriptures, from the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels, and from the writings of the apostles in the New Testament, how the Trinity operates in this world through its persons. At the beginning of creation itself, as we just heard, we can see that it's the Father's creative will that is operative. The Word and Son of the Father, which gives shape to creation. That's what the Word means, the, the structure, the logos. And the Spirit of God, which animates it and gives it motion. It's as if, and this is only an analogy, the Father is the thought, the Son forms the Word, and the Spirit is the breath which carries the Word forth. This pattern is carried forward through the grand narrative of the whole Bible. We also see the Father inspiring Abraham to begin a new chapter in this narrative and a new people devoted to him and the Son appearing to him as the angel of the Lord, the Malach Yahweh, or the messenger of Yahweh, and the Spirit giving prophetic knowledge. And this pattern continues in the New Testament, but made even fuller as the Father makes for himself not just one people group, but all peoples belonging to him now through the more perfect revelation of himself, through the incarnation of his son, not just as the appearance of a messenger, but in the flesh, who then sends the spirit, not just so that we can prophesy, even though that still continues, but so that we can participate in the very life of the son, which is also the life of the father. I and the father are one. Everything the father has, he gives to me. So this is why it's critical to know the nature and the action of the Trinity because it's the pattern of the whole world, the pattern of our salvation. This is why we always pray in the Trinity and live in the Trinity. St. Athanasius, writing 1,700 years ago, speaks of the foundation of our faith in this way. The Trinity, which is recognized in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is holy and perfect and has no adulteration of that which is foreign or external, nor is it compounded of creator and created matter, but it is endowed with the complete power of creating and energizing. Its nature also is consistent with itself and undivided, and its energy and activity is one. So this is St. Athanasius talking about the unity of the Trinity. He continues, The Father makes all things through the Word in the Holy Spirit, this is a way that we pray constantly. Notice this. We pray to the Father through the Son in the Spirit, just as God the Father creates through the Son in the Spirit. Thus in the church, one God is preached who is above all things and through all things and in all things. Listen to what St. Athanasius says. Yes, certainly above all things as the Father, the first principle and origin, and truly through all things, that is through the Word, and finally, in all things, in the Holy Spirit. He says that when St. Paul was writing to the Corinthians about spiritual matters, he traced all things back to God the Father as to the fountainhead in these words. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of workings, but it is the same God who inspires them all. He says that the gifts which the Spirit distributes to people are given by the Father through the Word. For all things which belong to the Father likewise belong to the Son, so that those things which are given by the Son in the Spirit are true gifts of the Father. Similarly, when the Spirit is in us, the Word by whom we receive Him is also in us. 
And in the word is also the father. And this is the meaning of the text. We, that is my father and I, will come to him and make our home with him. For where there is light, there is also brilliance. And where there is brilliance, there is also the power and glory of the light that shines out. St. Paul also in the second letter of the Corinthians gives the same teaching in these words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. For grace and the gift which is given in the Trinity is given by the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. For just as grace is given from the Father through the Son, so within us the fellowship in that gift cannot be brought about except in the Holy Spirit. If we have received the Spirit, then we have received the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Spirit himself. These are remarkable words from St. Athanasius, and I know that they can just wash over us in one hearing. This is why it's important to sit with words like this from fathers of the church and contemplate what they're saying. What St. Athanasius ultimately is saying to us is the life of the Trinity is our life. It is how we participate in the divine. It is how we participate in the story of the world. It's how we participate in the conclusion of all things when all things are summed up in Jesus Christ our Lord. Because when all things are summed up in Christ, they are done so in the power of the Spirit, in the unity of the Father. All things come back to their source and origin, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when someone experiences the divine, it's not enough that they just feel something and don't do anything with it from there. The invitation goes out to all of us who have experienced God to come and learn how that experience works and who the God who communicates to us truly is. This God is community and love. And that's why community and love and self-giving are the whole story of the world. And they ought to be the whole story of our lives. And they are certainly, if we believe in Christ and confess him and participate in his life, the story of our salvation. That's why we celebrate the Trinity today, to make it known and clear to all of us in this house that when we come to God, we experience life and love and self-giving, which has been going on continuously, eternally, from before the foundation of the world. It is our foundation of our own existence. The Holy Trinity, Holy, Holy, Holy Trinity, is the reason the world is here. It's the reason we are alive, and it's the reason God has done everything he's done to bring us into his life so that we can share in that Trinitarian love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.